I want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Created for Glory, Redeemed by Grace. And today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called God's Design for Men. And maybe you're wondering about that. Well, here we go. God's Design for Men. When we were going through this discussion at the beginning of chapter 3 where this serpent, Satan incarnate if you will, is deceiving and tempting Eve, it says that Adam was with her, he wasn't busy doing other things. It says that this serpent, Satan, began to engage her about whether it was wrong or not to eat the fruit. Now Adam knew the truth. Adam knew exactly what he should have done. And here's what Adam should have said. Adam should have looked the serpent in the eye, however many eyes he had, looked him in the eye and said, listen, I am not going to let you bring death into the world. I'm not going to sit here passively as you bait my wife into sin. But on the topic of death, I would be happy to bring death into the world to a new thing I heard about called snake hunting. (laughs) Unless you get your ugly, slimy serpentness away from my wife and out of my garden. Can I get an amen on that? That's what he should have done. But he didn't do it. Instead, Adam hid. He stepped back. He was passive. He blame shifted more. And I want to give you a contrast to that. Here's the second picture of what a godly man should be. Why don't you turn to Exodus 32, verse 7. This is the story of another pivotal, chaotic time in the people of God. Moses had led the nation out of Egypt. They were going through the Sinai Peninsula. And God was giving them the law. Moses had gone up on the mountain, had spent an extended period of time with a God. And the people um, didn't know what happened to Moses, and they decided they would um, create a God in their own image, exactly what we just saw in Romans chapter 1 last week. And so into this, uh, verse 7, chapter 32, verse 7, it says that the Lord said to Moses... Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, look up, look up here. Most dudes at this point would have been like, Moses had to put up with all their stuff. He was sick of them too. And here, here God is basically saying, listen, I'm going to rearrange the whole thing. I'm going to make it Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. I'm going to start all over from you. You don't have to deal with these people anymore. Now, how many guys would have said, sweet? <laughs> A lot of us would have said, praise God, awesome. It's not what Moses did. Moses stepped into the chaos and the judgment that was coming. Verse 11, it says, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh, Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And it says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony and brought the law into the people's lives. And here's the thing. Moses did the complete opposite of what Adam did. Adam, sinner, blame-shifted. Moses, innocent, pleaded with God for the people. He stepped into the chaos and into, well, there wasn't even much ambiguity. It was pretty much just all chaos. He stepped into it and said, listen, God, these are your people. You, for your sake, please do not pour this judgment and obliterate them. Do not do it, God. And I'm going to tell you, men, God has called us to step into the problem areas of our families, of our own lives, of our marriages, of our workplaces, and of this nation to step in and to be used by God to lead God's people to a better place. And that's what he did. That's leadership. And then I want to say something about our homes and our marriages and our families. This is very convicting to say this and hard to hear this. If something's wrong in your house or your life or your marriage, it may not be your fault, but it is your problem. That too many times it's easy as guys to say it's somebody else's fault. It's her fault. Maybe it is. But it's your problem. God called you to be the redemptive element and bring leadership into your family. Listen, let me say this. This will even make it sting a little bit more. The place and trajectory of your family is right where you put it. Right where you let it or right where you allowed it to go. And you might be saying, well, pastor, <laughs> that's great, pastor. That, that was really cute. I, I like that. But here's the thing. My wife is the most difficult person on the face of the earth to deal with. Or my kids are, oh my gosh, I don't know where they got it from. It must have been from my wife because it wasn't from me. Or, 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 and that may be true. I'll just take that for a second and say that it's true. It may be her fault, but it's your problem. And I want to tell you something. Listen, if, you, if your family or your marriage is in a bad place, it's your fault and your problem. Because if you have allowed something to stay in a bad place, and if you've allowed even your, your wife or your kids or your family to go to a bad place, and you have not been on your face before God pleading with him on behalf of the people, it's really your fault. Because God called you to bring grace into ambiguity and the chaos. And if you are not embracing that role, lots of men would like to be the leader of their home. Few of them want to be the redemptive leader that God has called them to be, and I'll throw myself in on that. It's not fun to be a redemptive leader at 7, 15 at night when I'm tired and irritable and don't feel like dealing with uh, kid problems or don't feel like responding to my wife the right way that I should. Have we all been there, guys? But God's called you to be a redemptive leader. Listen, God is looking for men. God is looking for a man to step into the gap. Whenever there was a problem in the people of God, God always looked for a man. Not that God could have used women. 
But God's calling, God's purpose for men, when they see a problem, is not to look the other way or step out of the way, but to step into the problem and to be proactive and to be a source of grace. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to all of us. Women, I would urge you to pray for your father, your husband, your son. That's a tall calling. Sometimes it feels like when God calls us to this, he's calling us to the impossible. But God, how can can I make her be different? How can I change his mind? How can I do that? God, it's impossible, which is actually the point. It is impossible. But that's not an excuse for walking away. And while we're on the subject of the impossible, let me give you the third point. God created men to take on impossible tasks, give grace through fervent prayer. Why don't you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Listen, God has a habit of calling men to do impossible tasks. Think of Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Peter, Paul, on and on and on and on. God has a habit of reaching down and finding imperfect men and calling them to impossible tasks. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Here we're talking about Jonathan, son of Saul, good friend of David. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, his armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now what is he just referencing here? Well, that this time in, in redemptive history, the people of God in the land that God had given them were on the run. And the Philistines, we don't know exactly where they came from. There might have been a, a family from the Turkish or Greek area had moved into uh, what we might see as Gaza area right now. And they were beginning to push inland to get more resources. And they were in conflict with the people of God. And the people of God were weak and they were pushing in and in and farther in and it was, just, it was a very bad time to put it mildly and here the Philistines had set up a garrison an outpost of evil verse 2 and Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in a pomegranate cave and the people who were with him were about 600 men not many including Ahijah the son of Ahitub Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. And the one crag rose to the north in front of Mishmash, and on the other, the south, in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. That is an awesome statement. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. The men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, 
Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furrow's length of an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. And the garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earthquake, God showed up, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, a multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines, those who had joined the Philistines, the traitors, before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle so that the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond beth because two men were willing to take on the impossible. I want to say to us as men, we have a choice. Like your whole original cavemen thing, like that's just sort of made up. But men in caves is not made up. It's right here in the text. If you read the scriptures, the people were so afraid they were sending their families away and they were hiding in caves. They were so afraid of the Philistines. And God's people were in full retreat. And yet there were some men of faith. Let me give you the two distinctions. First, men in caves are fearful. They have a small or absent God. They are passive and conflict avoidant. And they are retreating. But men of faith are courageous. They have a big God. They are active. They are aggressive with the gospel. Listen, men, everything in your life comes down to one thing. How real is God to you? Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. If you're listening to Meeting with God, you're clearly interested in God's Word. One of the great joys of my life is seeing people grow together in God's Word on a weekly basis. And these messages are a part of our weekend services. If you don't have a church family, let me invite you to join us this weekend. Our church home is located in Columbus near Route 315 and Henderson Road. Details are available at verticalchurch.life. I think some of us would respond to that and say, well, pastor, that's great and all, but that's Jonathan. He's one of the heroes in scripture, is he not? Like he was a, he was a big shot. I'm just an average guy. This is why I love James 5, 17 so much, which says that Elijah, a great leader, great prophet, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah had to deal with arguably the worst king and for sure the worst queen in the history of the people of God. And he did so courageously as a man of prayer. 
Now, men, I want you to look up here for a minute. Listen, men, when we hear the word impossible, many of us as men have a tendency to write off people who have chosen to go in the wrong direction. I hear all the time of people who come back to God and I hear that their mother or their grandmother was praying for them. I rarely ever hear of a story of a son that comes back who had a father that was praying for him. And many times we have a tendency, do we not, to when something bad happens, when, when, when a person chooses to do it, the dads are the kind of guys who go, you want to live like that? Live like that. And emotionally we cut off, I don't want to have to deal with that problem, that pain anymore. You want to live like that? Live like that. And men begin to withdraw and to write off into, instead of getting on our faces and saying, not in my place, not in my house, this will be a house where we pray and we fast and we cry out to God until whatever's impossible by the hand of God becomes possible. If you want a motto, a motto that I would love to have for the rest of my life, I'd like to go into heaven with this motto. I lived my life in such a way that I lived, here it is, against all odds, God used me to, you fill in the blank. That should be a motto for men. We have lots of ways to come up with mottos. But how about to live in such a way that I lived my life going after the impossible tasks that God had put in my life, and when it's all said and done, I lived my life by doing the things that seemed impossible to me, but against all odds, I went after them. And in the grace of God, God worked. God used me. God had to show up. If God didn't show up there with Jonathan, they probably wouldn't have lasted very long, but God showed up. And God shows up for men that are willing to embrace the impossible. Let me ask you, men, what have you put on your impossible list? Have you written off parts of your walk with the Lord? Have you written off habits that you'll never think you'll ever break? Have you written off where your marriage is? I will never have a marriage that will grow in this area. Have you written off the possibility that you will have children or spiritual children that will follow the Lord? Have you written off the fact that God could use you in a unique way for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? What's on your impossible list? I love here in the text, if you look at verse 7, it says that, I love what the armor bearer responded. This is so great. It says his armor bearer, said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. I'm going to tell you men, we tend to, we're usually men are a little more independent and a little bit more, we, we have that lone ranger in us a little bit. But I love what happens here in the text and I would encourage us as men, you need to find somebody or a couple somebodies that are exactly what's described here. Men that are with you in the impossible, that pray with you on the impossible tax. Men that say, listen, listen, brother, I know that's impossible. I know that you're in a hard situation. I know your kid's in a bad place. I know your job's, but listen, you know that God can work, and you're praying, and I'm praying with your heart and soul until God does something. How about some men like that, eh? Find a man like his armor bearer that will stand with you and who you can stand with. Look at me, men. Listen, you might be saying, well, why did God have to put me in such a chaotic place? Why did God have to put me in a, why did God give me a, a parents like this? Or why did God give me a mother-in-law like that? Why did God put me in this bad place? Why did, why did I have living here? Why didn't I get a father who actually showed me how to live? Why did I get put here? Well, let, let me tell you something. That's just the point. God put you there 
to bring joy, to bring love, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into the broken place. Many times we ask the question, why God, when the question that God's asking is, why not you? Here's the final thing I want you to make sure you take away from this. The most dangerous thing, you know, I, I believe that God calls women to pray. There's many examples of that. But in my observations of history and church history, God does great things through women who pray. Hell shakes big time when men start praying. When men take prayer seriously and begin to fast and pray and begin to seek God's face, hell shakes. But here's the one thing that keeps them from that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and this is my last challenge to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing, here it is, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of Christ, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And some of us men may be here today, and we are crying out to God, and there's burdens on our hearts, and we're praying, but we're not seeing answers. And the reason that God is not doing it is because we have, we have forfeited the greatest privilege we have, which is our relationship with God. And if you are dishonoring the woman in your life or women in your life, God is hindering your prayer. It says it right here. We don't have to wonder. We know. And if we are not loving our wives as God calls us to do, we are not laying down our lives as we ought to, God is hindering the very greatest source of blessing, Him and His power. And perhaps the most courageous thing that some of us men will do today is go home and say those simple words, Honey, I'm sorry that I have dishonored you. Or call our mothers and say, Mom, I'm sorry I've dishonored you. Mom, I'm sorry. Or, Honey, daughter, I've not been the covering and protection that I should have been. I'm sorry. And God's grace flows through the humble and God will open your prayer life to have impact beyond what you would even ask. Final aspect of design, just quickly. God created men to give a redemptive legacy. Give grace through Christ-centered building. As I think about myself, as I think about us, and I think about how we as Christians, but we as men in particular, feel the weight of our inadequacy and of our failures and of our sin. Many of us are tempted to write ourselves off and to say, well, how could God use a man like me? Does God even want to use a man like me? But I want to tell you this. Listen, God's greatest calling on your life is to leave and to give a legacy to the next generation, be it your own children, be it spiritual children, be it people that you've impacted. And God's heart for you is to, as men, for us, to give a legacy of God's grace to the next generation. And many times we sit back and think, but I don't have much of a life to, I don't have a great legacy, I don't have a great family story, I don't have a list of accomplishments, I don't have any Super Bowl trophies, I don't have anything big to give to God and to give to the next generation. Well, I want to tell you something, that's not what God's looking for. God's not looking for you to have a great job and a great career and your name on some plaque somewhere, that's not what God's looking for. The greatest thing that God is looking for is for you to have a redemptive legacy, for you to be able to look your kids in the eyes and say, you know what, the reality is I was a failure. And I want to be open with you, I was a failure in these five, six, ten, I don't know, however many areas. But I want to tell you something. The thing that I can offer to you as a legacy is not what I've done, my career, my job, my education, my name. What I can offer to you is the story of what God has done in me and through me. Okay? And as your kids begin to hear this, that sometimes we're as men, we're afraid to tell our kids we failed. We don't want them to have to know that stuff. And you need to use discretion. 
But what our kids will usually find out anyways. But what God is looking for us to do is to show our children the power of the cross. And that Jesus Christ can save them from anything. That God can use their life no matter what. That if they will get on their knees and go into the throne room of Jesus Christ, God can use them in any way. And men, we are called to leave a redemptive legacy and to give that to the next generation. That's what we're called to build. I want to ask you to reach out to the Lord in your heart, just between you and the Lord, and say, God, here's my strengths, here's my weaknesses, here's my failures, here's my, but God, you designed me to make a difference. You designed me. And God, right now I'm giving you my failures. I'm giving you the times that I've used my strength in the wrong way, in a selfish way, in a fleshly way. I'm giving you all the times I failed and looked the other way and failed to step into the chaos because I was afraid of what would happen or I was too busy and I didn't want to do it. And God, by faith right now, I'm asking you to give me a redemptive legacy, to make the greatest thing about me, not where I've been or what I've done, but about the fact that your son has died for me, changed me, and now begun to use me. That's what men are called to. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.